If you would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We are looking at verses 12 through 19. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 through 19. This section, actually it's the second part of verse 12, is what I have entitled a true pastor. And a true pastor can be identified by what is his concern. What is his concern? What concerns him? We are in a day and an age that our concerns are very, very evident. I mean, the things that weigh on our hearts or our priorities stand out. Stand out. I mean, we can, we can see what they are. So I, I want you to think about this. Let's read God's Word, 2 Corinthians 12, 12 through 19. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches? Except that I myself did not become a burden to you. Forgive me this wrong. Here, for the third time, I am ready to come to you. I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible for responsible to save up for their parents, but the parents for the children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Certainly, I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take any advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? All of this time, you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ for all of your upbuilding, beloved. Father, help us to hear what the Apostle Paul is telling us here. And Father, as we look at this church, as we look at this man of God, as we look at your plan that was unfolded, Father, may we take warning. But Father, may we take encouragement. Father, may we see the hand of an awesome God in the Apostle Paul's life. But Father, we also see the restoration of the relationship between this church that had hurt Paul so much. And Father, how you in your glory and your praise Straighten things out. Help us to hear. Help us to know a true pastor. In Christ's name. Amen. As I prayed, we understand that this church had, had really broken the heart of the Apostle Paul. Um, numerous ways. If you look at 1 Corinthians, you will see that they had literally allowed the world to take over the congregation. And we're doing things that were just absolutely. Um, I, I, when you would come to the Lord's table and get drunk at it, 
I'm thinking that's a little odd. They were boasting that a man had taken his father's wife. That seems a little odd to me. Uh, you, you see that basically what happens was when you lay your doctrine down, sin takes over. And, and, and I don't care who you are or what you think you are. You will live your life to the size of your God. All right. That's doctrine. What do I know about my God? And that is how we will live our lives. This church had been opened up to sin, had laid their doctrine down. <laughs> I guess even their logic they had laid down. And when I look at it, that opens the door to false teaching. Because what happens... Now listen, I'm, I want to be specific here. I'm talking about believers. Okay? Believers can get themselves into a place where their conscience is bothering them. Okay? Now, you and I can sit here on Sunday morning and say, well, that just means that they're in sin. Exactly. Ta-da! The light bulb is on. Okay, but here's what happens. We want someone to tell us that it's okay. I have people who, in the past, not recently, uh, my counseling ministry has just really died. But uh, it's a minor detail. But I've had people who would come to me, and the questions that they would ask me, and they'd be married, when can a Christian divorce? Okay? As soon as I hear that, I know what's going on. All right? Give me biblical truth so I can divorce and my conscience won't bother me. That's what they're looking for. But yeah, I can hear that all, all along. I got into trouble this week at a, at a pastor's group dealing with some people who have alcohol and methamphetamine problems. Okay. And the word was thrown out that they are addicted. I smiled, my effervescent smile. And I said, no, it's idolatry. What? But you don't understand it's a, no. It's idolatry. Well, it's a disease. No, 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 no. That's like Eve saying it was the snake's fault. Okay? Nothing. It's the person's fault. It's idolatry. They are putting something that they believe will make them better or happier or joyful or whatever you want to do. They're putting that up front. And it is amazing what we can put in that hole. Okay? And it's idolatry. I have something here that I am worshiping. Okay? Whether it's drugs, alcohol, it can be men, it can be women, it can be jobs, it can be money, it can be investments. You can stick anything in that hole. And this is all going to make me better. All right? And I couldn't believe that everybody was mad that I would call this idolatry. You know why they were mad? Look at our community. Okay? 
what that guy said is that we live in an idolatrous community. But when you move your doctrine away, when you move what you know about God, your conscience, because of the Holy Spirit, is going to bug you. And so your immediate response is, let me find somebody who can make me smile again. Okay? That's what happened to the church in Corinth. The city of Corinth was an, an awful place. I can't even begin. Some of the stuff, the research that I did on the history of Corinth uh, would stun you. But I will give you a great philosopher's quote that he loved Corinth because there were bare-chested women running around town spearing pigs and climbing poles. Okay? You know what we call that when I was before Christ? A party town. Okay, now, now I've been to some party towns, but I don't ever remember that. But uh, perhaps I just wasn't paying attention. To be promiscuous, sexually promiscuous, was to Corinthianize. And I'll just leave it at that. In the middle of that, God says, look, a church. Yet the people are surrounded by this. It's day in and day out, and it doesn't stop. It's unrelenting. You have a foe that is out there that is unrelenting. Paul had gone back. He had wrote what is called 1 Corinthians. Then there was another letter that we do not have called the severe letter. And this is after a second trip. He had gone back to the church sort of like a, ta-da, surprise. The false had gotten in pretty strong and they brought accusations against the Apostle Paul in front of the congregation. Okay? Nobody in the Corinthian church stood up to defend Paul. So he was heartbroken. He left and he wrote what is called the severe letter. Now, we don't have that one, but it must have been a dandy and he wrote to confront what they were doing. Then we have this letter. And he's planning his third trip there. And we've already looked at it, that there has been a, a healing of the relationship between the Corinthian believers and the Apostle Paul. Now, he's going through this and he started over in chapter 10, dealing with the spiritual aspects of the battle. Uh, a lot of what you and I see going on in our society right now is a spiritual battle. I mean, we see the physical evidence of the spiritual fight. Whether it is uh, legalizing marijuana, homosexual marriage. But see, I can go back farther than that. The government promotes gambling. With lottery and we're all going to have new what? What are we going to have that's going to be new? We're going to use this money for what? Does anybody know? It was for parks at one time. Now we don't have any idea what it's for. 
Okay, we don't know what the money's for. But it's, I don't care what anybody calls it. It's gambling. You know what? I was watching television. Have you noticed, uh, what is it? Something fan duel or something like that? It's fantasy football. Okay, they're advertising. And it's every time, I don't even matter what show I'm watching, I see this. Okay? There are churches in our town right now that have fantasy football leagues for the bonding of men. Well, you know where I grew up? You know what they call that? Gambling. You put money in the pot and whoever gets the most wins gets the money. Now, I don't know about you, but that's gambling. Do I need to tell you what God says about gambling? It's on the same level as homosexuality. It's still a sin. Okay? So when you have Christians lay their understanding of who God is down... They become susceptible to their own sin. Their conscience starts bothering them. And now they are ripe for picking of false teachers. That's why I'm dealing with this right here. A true pastor. What is he concerned about? And we've been going through this. Verse 12, he says, with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. A true pastor has perseverance. He will press on. You know what is amazing about this word in the original language? It's not based on the outcome. I know what I have been called to do and you shall not stop me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to worship Nebuchadnezzar. And their response was, no. Well, I'll throw you in the furnace. So be it. They told Daniel, you must stop praying. Daniel said, no. Uh -uh. Well, we'll throw you in the lion's den. So be it. Okay? Why? Here's God, here's man. Which one's more important? Now you can sit here today and say, well, everybody knows God is. Really? Okay? Your life shows people what's important to you. So if you want to see a true pastor, what is it that he is faithful to? You will not move him. You ain't going to move him left. You ain't going to move him right. You ain't going to move him backwards. You can't do anything because he is faithful. He will persevere. Now think about the Apostle Paul. Preach the gospel in uh, Iconium. Okay. Get stoned and thrown on a manure pile. Okay. You would just sit there and say, all right, I got that off my list. Uh, something about shaking the dust off my feet and moving on to somewhere else. But the Apostle Paul did what? He went back in. Stoning me and leaving me for dead and throwing me out on the poop pile, I ain't done. 
Okay, now I don't know what you would call that, but that there is perseverance. I mean, and if you think I'm wrong about it, a young man noticed it. Whose name was Timothy. Okay? False teachers aren't going to do that. They're not, they're not going to offend anybody because, see, if you like me, you might like my Jesus. And then we can all sing kumbaya as we head to hell. Okay? Second thing is that a true pastor has a concern for sacrifice. His ministry will be sacrificial. That is verses 13 through 16, first part of 16. He did not treat the Corinthians inferior, but he wanted them to understand he did not become a burden to them. That did not mean that they weren't important to him. He just did not want their money. He was more concerned about them, not what they had. I <laughs> I remember uh, this, this. I haven't been on it and looked at it because uh, uh, Stephanie had shown it to me. It's kind of like a um, an internet place for pastors to look for churches or churches who are looking for pastors. It's it's a cute little bugger. It's just uh, you just sit there and go, well, this is kind of silly. But anyway, you could go through it. Some of the churches who were looking for pastors, they had all of these packages. This is the pastor's package. And I was like, I wonder what a pastor's package is. Is that like Christmas? And then I read through it and I was like, that is not, that's more than Christmas. That's like Christmas and every other holiday. I hear something going, when is he supposed to work? I mean, three months sabbatical, every vacation and another, da, 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 and you just sit there and go, well, what's he supposed to do? Okay. And it was funny because you could read some of the things that they would list out that they wanted them to do. And uh, I never did see anything in there about praying or the word, which sort of like, well, huh, <laughs> I guess I'm not qualified. <laughs> so <laughs> shoot. OK, because there, there was a church here in town that was looking for an, an associate pastor, or administrative pastor or something. They, they can hang anything on there now. Uh, you, you would go through. He had to have a, a master's in business, something in accounting and bookkeeping had like five things or four things. And then the fifth thing was a relationship with Jesus Christ. I was like, well, there you have it. <laughs> I'm glad you added that. Okay. What are they concerned with? What is it they're concerned with? How many pastors sacrifice? I know a couple of guys right now in this town that take one week off a month because of the work they do. A week off a month. Okay? And then they get a sabbatical. Because we think maybe you ought to write a book. And you go, what? I already wrote a book. It's a coloring book. You can find it on Amazon somewhere. <laughs> but he said, I'm trying to get at. What are you concerned about? What are you concerned about? You know what? When we do our budget meetings, if my pay is in there, 
I leave the room. I'm not involved. I don't worry about it. God's done a really good job taking care of me. Okay? That's, that's, I don't understand that. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear when he says, I did not burden myself. I will not be a burden to you. I will most gladly spend and be expended. Pour me out as a drink offering, he told Timothy. I'm done. Why? Because I was faithful and my life was sacrificial to what my king wanted. And what I'm looking for ain't on this planet. It's in glory. And you don't see that. You flat out don't see that. Thirdly, Paul's concern for ministry. Wouldn't seem like this would have to be even stated, but it does. Honesty. Honesty. Second half there. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit, certainly. I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take any advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? A true pastor has an utmost concern for honesty. Honesty. Doesn't even want it to look like there could be a problem. Listen, the false are trying to discredit the character of the Apostle Paul. Why? They can't discredit his doctrine. So if I can discredit the messenger... We can throw his message out. So they're saying, hey, he's trying to defraud you. But it's kind of funny. The false were charging him of, them of this fraud. But let's be realistic here for a second. The plot doesn't seem that obvious. Remember, he talked about sacrifice. He took nothing from them. Nothing. Even when he was in need, the churches in Macedonia sent money down to meet their needs. But Paul's running a scam on you. But he ain't getting anything for it. What a scam. Okay, I don't know where you come from, but that classifies as goofy. And yet they can make the accusation. Why? All I have to do is sow a seed of doubt. Ding! Just right there. Paul lived with these people. He was with them for 18 months. Day and night. They saw what he did. They saw his life. They saw those who pastored with him. Those who labored with him. They saw he was a man of prayer. A man of the book. A man of God. And yet somebody could come in because their conscience was bothering them. And then when their conscience bothers them, I can sow a seed of doubt. And that thing will grow like a mustard seed. Just a little bit of seed grows into this massive, huge plant. The Apostle Paul, again, some of my uh, 
favorite phrasing. He says, I did not, verse 16, I did not burden you myself. Then he uses, nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am. I love that. (laughs) It's easy to see what the false are saying. Panargos, panargos, that's the Greek term for crafty. It's the only time in the whole Bible that it's used. It literally means ready to do anything. Unscrupulous, tricky, tricky. But then if you look down down there, you say, I took you in by deceit. One of my favorite terms in the Greek language, doulos. It's to bait a fish, to bait a fish. I am so crafty that I'm willing to do anything to bait the fish. Now, I don't know about you, but where I come from, they call that dripping with sarcasm. (laughs) Just an idea. I'm just thinking that's maybe that's it. It's a false claim against the apostle. They're saying that he is willing to do anything to hook the Corinthians. And he had this deceptive scheme, even though he says, I was not a burden to any of you. 18 months, I never took a nickel. I never took a piece of bread from you. I never even had a Sunday after church dinner with you. And there was a stretch there that was a little tough. But the Macedonians, who were really poor, sent help. See, the false had a problem with their accusation. Paul hadn't taken any money. (laughs) <laughs> I remember, uh, some of you guys may not know, C.W. Criswell. What a man of God. He's in glory now, and I bet he's... I remember seeing him preach at John MacArthur's church. <laughs> and he was preaching about the inerrancy of Scripture, the power of Scripture. Uh, he had, you know, perfect alliteration and all the rest of it. He's going through it. And about halfway through the thing, some of you guys have been... Uh, Grace community. About halfway through the thing, he just takes his Bible and throws it down the aisle way. And you're like, he, he'd be jacked up. He says, that's the book and you're treating it like that. And you're like, quit. He can hit you. <laughs> but anyway, he published a lot of books. I mean, he published probably 200 books and he, he got paid for them. He got ready to retire from Dallas, uh, first Baptist of Dallas. And, uh, <laughs> Man, what a, well, he'd get worked up and he, he felt like he needed to get under the pew. But anyway, <laughs> I better hide because this could get dangerous. He, uh, <laughs> he was a trip. He was getting ready to retire from First Dallas. He'd been at First Dallas for 35 years. Okay? And First Dallas is massive. I mean, I, I think they've got about 75,000 people. Okay, and I mean, it's it's a massive thing. He's going to retire and there began murmurings. That the only thing that he stayed in his church for was so he could write his books and make money. And so his last day at the pulpit, he said goodbye and he wrote a check, an offering check to the church for all 35 years of his salary so that he was above board. Okay? Now, whoever was murmuring had to feel like an idiot. (laughs) But you, you think about that for a minute. 
Now, I never sold that many coloring books, so don't think that I'm in it for writing. Okay, so, but, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? Why? It's not about the money. So, what are they got to be going after? Paul hadn't taken any money. Well, remember in chapter 8 and 9, they'd taken up an offering for the saints in Jerusalem? And he detailed it in chapters 8 and 9. That's what the the false are focused on. What do false focus on? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Perhaps I will sow a seed of doubt. You have this massive amount of money that you're collecting for Jerusalem. Because Paul has told you about it. The needs in Jerusalem. Perhaps that won't make it to Jerusalem. Seated out. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. They're saying, Paul, it's going to take this. Handling charges. Delivery fee. That's where he's going to make his money. You know why? What would the false do? They would take their cut. See, they had the greed and they wanted to pass that greed on to the Apostle Paul. But it's a little tough because the Apostle Paul had been there 18 months and never got a nickel. Let me show you some things. When Paul was writing to uh, Titus, uh, an interesting text uh, that should be looked at. In Titus chapter 1, verse 15 one fifteen of Titus, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. That's what he's writing to Titus. You know why I use that? Paul has to refute these claims. How did he do it? By Titus. By Titus. See, Paul understood that this offering, which was a collection of Gentile churches through the whole Greek peninsula, and he understood that he couldn't do it alone. So he reminds them, not only is he personally, but he did not defraud the Corinthians, but he also did not have his associates take advantage of them. Those they had seen in the city themselves. See, they attacked Paul's motives. Then you have to attack those laboring with the Apostle Paul. And specifically, it would go after those who were taking this large offering. They were accusing Paul of embezzling. Now, you can embezzle if you're acting alone. Big problem is he had some other people there. If you back up just a little ways to chapter 8, verse 23. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches. That's the word apostolos. For the glory of God. So Paul had sent... People to help. 
verse 6 of chapter 8. So we urge Titus that as he had previously, understand what he just said there. He had previously, you have witnessed this. Made in the beginning, he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Titus has already started the collection for the church in Jerusalem. He's reminding them of that. Verse 16, same chapter. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. So the Corinthians knew Titus well. There was also two unnamed brothers in Christ. Verse 18 and 19. We have sent along with him the brothers whose fame and the things of the gospel has spread through all of the churches. Verse 19. And not only this, but he also has been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work. The other churches have sent this man, which he has been administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself to show our readiness. Verse 22. We have sent with them, those two that I just talked about, Titus and this other man, We have sent with them our brother whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. Who's had great fame. So you got three guys and the Apostle Paul. They've been appointed by the churches to travel with Paul. Do you understand what that just said? Who sent him? It wasn't Paul. It was the other churches. In this gracious work. And this other guy was often tested. Here's the idea. These are three highly respected men who would join the Apostle Paul in defrauding the church in Corinth. I think not. I think not. If they were honorable, how does the Apostle Paul pull this off? How does he embezzle if these men are of great honor? Look what he says back to our text. He did this through the Spirit and the walk. End of verse 18. In the same Spirit and walk. Did we not conduct ourselves in the same? Meaning he says, you've got these three guys and you've got me. Don't we all look the same? Does not our walk stand up to honor, honesty? Do we not all carry ourselves in the same spirit of the Lord? These men all acted with the same integrity, the same honesty. And it was all because of their love for the Corinthians. And you know what is amazing? The Corinthians knew that. But see, all it takes is that for an individual conscience to be convicted of their sin and get someone to agree that that's not that important. And then now you're right for me to sow a seed of doubt. Let me just drop that in there. Why? Because I just laid my doctrine and my understanding of who God is. You know, I hear this a lot. People say, you need to have an accountability group. Really? What is the Holy Spirit? 
Where am I going to hide from Him? Right? And yet, if I set my doctrine down, I better go get me an accountability group. Because now I'm ignoring God. And you're going to need some accountability. Honesty is the true man of God. And guess what? It's non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. Let me show you this. This was a problem for the Apostle Paul his entire life. Okay? Now think about it for a second. How did he come to Christ? He was out doing what? Arresting Christians. He was holding the coats when the first Christian was martyred. So there was always this, what is he doing? So in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. In this letter, chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, verse 31... The God of Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed me forever and ever, knows that I'm not lying. Galatians chapter 1, verse 20. Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Timothy, in Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 7. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially to you. Chapter 4, verse 2. But we renounce the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but in the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves at every man's conscience in the sight of God. I see a pattern. A lot of people were concerned about him and he was testifying in the spirit of God, in the holiness of God, in the person of Jesus Christ. And I am not lying. So in ministry, Paul's big concern is honesty. Is honesty. And you know what? The Corinthians, this would have rung their bell. Because the Corinthians knew that Paul had ministered among them without deceit. They knew that. 18 months, house to house. Never a burden to them. And yet you still have these people who would stroll in and sow these seeds because they had jettisoned their doctrine, which is their protection. They had jettisoned that 
And therefore, my conscience was bothering me. And because my conscience was bothering me, I want someone to tell me, it's okay. And guess what? There will come a time, Paul warns Timothy, when men will not hear sound doctrine and they will heap to themselves teachers that tickle their ears. Why? The sound doctrine protects them. They set the sound doctrine down because and their conscience starts bothering them. And now they can get a heap. A heap. You know what that means, right? That means they're not hard to find. And you can pile them up and they'll tell you, it's okay. I heard a pastor in California, I was flying out of a conference and talk radio. Some lady had called in and was wanting to divorce her husband. What is up with that? But anyway, wanting to divorce her husband. And he said, it's okay. It's obvious that she married the wrong one. And, and, go out and, and go out and marry the right one. You know who that was? Robert Schuller. In the Crystal Palace or whatever it is. I don't remember. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? And everybody goes, well, bravo, bravo. Why? Set your doctrine down. Your conscience is going to start bothering you. And when your conscience starts bothering you, you're going to find somebody who can make your conscience feel better. Honesty was the Apostle Paul's concern in ministry. Stand the fast. Why? He had a concern for faithfulness, perseverance. Despite what the response was, you're not going to change me. Two, my life will be a sacrifice to what my king has called me to. Three, I will be honest in carrying out that duty. That is the first three concerns of a true pastor. And if you don't see those, then I'll give you the same advice that Joseph had and Timothy had. Flee! Flee. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Apostle Paul, his life, his concerns. Father, I thank you that uh, there was a restoration that took place in the church in Corinth. And Father, I thank you that uh, there's still your church. Help us, my King, my Lord. But even as we look around today, there are many teachers heaped. And yet, Father, I pray. You'll expose them. And Father, as you expose them, we won't gleefully celebrate, but we'll embrace and try to encourage, try to draw back. Help us, my Lord, my Savior, to deal with the things that are before us, knowing that for such a time as this, each of us is here. Father, may our love for you grow with every breath you grace us. Until that day, our faith becomes sight to you, my Savior, in Christ and Christ alone. Amen.